0: Hello, 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 listeners. Welcome to Dismantling Injustice, brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund. I'm Julie Menti, sitting in the podcast host seat while Carl takes a short break. I hope my attempt at his signature, hello, 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 did him proud. We're continuing our series on unraveling the mystery of budgets, AKA how money intersects with policy and vice versa. I'll be joined by Gabriela Vieira, the senior advocacy manager at Detention Watch Network an incredible national coalition that's building power to end immigration detention in the United States. Gabriella and I are going to get into the federal appropriations process and how it impacts the rights and dignity of immigrants in the US. I think your jaw will drop when you hear how many billions of dollars are spent to separate people from their families and take away their freedom. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for a great episode. Today, I am joined by Gabriela Vieira, who is the Senior Advocacy Manager at Detention Watch Network. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We're really excited to have you here and to demystify um, (laughs) the federal budgeting process, um, particularly as it relates to uh, immigration.
1: Yeah, of course, Um, and thank you again so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, I'm Gabby Vieira. I'm the Senior Advocacy Manager at Detention Watch Network, like you said, or DWN, Um, and DWN is a national coalition of members building power uh, through collective advocacy, through grassroots organizing, um, and through strategic communications, all Kind of in an effort to abolish immigration detention in the United States. Um, and we move a lot of different strategies in that vein, which we'll obviously get into together here today. But um, I also just wanted to express our gratitude for our membership across the country, including you all at Envision Freedom Fund, and just the opportunities that we have to connect with people from all over the US fighting against ICE's detention system in unique ways. Um, But I know today I'm here specifically to focus on the work that DWN does with the federal appropriations process, uh, which happens through our defund hate campaign, um, which is one of our two major campaigns where we really focus on getting Congress to cut government funding for ICE and CBP, which is Customs and Border Protection, um, you know, the two agencies that are primarily responsible for carrying out immigration and border enforcement.
0: Yeah, before we get into talking about defund hate, can you sort of zoom out a little bit and tell us how does federal appropriations work? What you know, what is the process? What's the timeline of the federal budget? Why do we say appropriations and not budget? What does that all mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely try to give kind of a high-level overview and, you know, lay out the general timeline that the government is supposed to follow. Um, And then maybe share a little bit about what actually happens, um, which is obviously important to remember here. Um, So the whole process kicks off with the president, uh, who submits a budget request to Congress for what the administration and all of its agencies want to see in the funding bills for the next fiscal year. Um, And this is supposed to happen the first Monday in February, um, though. Like I said, we we tend not to really follow timelines at this point. Biden actually just released his request a couple of weeks ago on March 9th. But then after seeing the president's request and getting a bunch of requests from other members of Congress, appropriators in the House and Senate are supposed to pass what's called a budget resolution that lays out what total spending for the year will be and guides them in drafting the 12 funding bills. That represent the 12 separate areas of government that congress has to pass every year and so you know if you're looking at budget versus appropriations budget is really the higher level overall numbers that these like major departments are receiving um and then so that's all of this process and then we get into the appropriations process which is really the nitty-gritty of like what are each program and each agency receiving um, in terms of government funding. And so the House and Senate are supposed to iron out their differences and ultimately vote on the 12 funding bills. Um, And once they pass both chambers, you know, the president signs them into law. And this is all supposed to happen by September 30th, because the government's fiscal year starts on October 1st. Um, So right now, for instance, we're making demands for fiscal year 2024, which starts this October 2023 and runs until next September 2024. Um, And so, like I said, you know, that's kind of what's supposed to happen. President's budget, Congress agrees on these overall top line numbers, and then the House and Senate kind of iron out the specifics and pass something by September 30th.
0: Where does immigration fit in these 12 different categories?
1: So one of the 12 categories is the Department of Homeland Security. And that is the department that hosts agencies like ICE and CBP, Immigration Enforcement Agencies. It also is host to other immigration agencies um, like uh, the United States, USCIS, the United States Citizenship and Integration Services, and things like TSA and FEMA, all of those kind of fall under the Department of Homeland Security. Um, And so whenever they're deciding on that bill, that's actually the most controversial bill usually. Um, But that bill is uh, kind of what we focus on. And that's our bread and butter, um, because that is where we see all of, you know, the funding that the government wants to pass for things like immigration detention, for deportations, for border militarization, and interior enforcement and everything.
0: So in this sort of alphabet soup of everything that's included under the umbrella of Department of Homeland Security, um, are you mostly focused on for immigration issues? You know, does DWN also adding to our alphabet soup, um, mostly focus on ICE and CBP. And can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two agencies and maybe where they intersect?
1: Definitely. Um, So, yes, we mostly focus ourselves on ICE, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and CBP, which is Customs and Border Protection. Um, And ICE is kind of the owner of all things on the inside of the US, the interior of the US. Um, and they their major, they have a huge account. The majority of their programs fall under what's called the Enforcement and Removal Operations account. Um, and that is the account that funds all of immigration detention, um, that funds, um, you know, remove removing folks, deporting folks, that funds. Um, workplace raids and any kind of enforcement when you see, you know, agents in community um you know ripping people away from their loved ones like that is those are like it like on the interior of the US that's all ice. Um customs and border protection um tends to be a more complicated <laughs> agency for folks because um it owns both like it says in its name customs anything customs um as well as border enforcement and immigration at our borders. Um, And so this is where you see, you know, border patrol agents on the border who are turning folks away, who are, you know, seeking asylum, Um, that's border patrol agents. The infrastructure that you see at our borders, the like border barriers, the large fences and the quote unquote wall that, you know, that continue is continuing to be built on our border. Um, and any kind of militarization like drones and surveillance towers, all of that is funded through CBP, through Customs and Border Protection.
0: I really appreciate the way that you are talking about how how these appropriations affect people, because we're not just talking about money, right? We're always talking about people and the impact that these budget decisions or decisions about money impact the lives of people. I think, you know, in terms of alignment, we're very aligned with with DWN in terms of, you know, wanting to end immigration detention and deportation and surveillance and all of these really cruel, unnecessary, inhumane ways that we treat people who were not born in this country. Can you talk a little bit about what it looks like in the in the budget process to to move us closer to ending these systems?
1: Yeah, I think people are really shocked to like find out how much money our government gives to these kinds of abusive agencies that really you know their mission is really centered around ripping people away from their loved ones endangering their lives in immigration jails and Um, and porting them to, you know, potentially dangerous circumstances. And our, you know, awesome communications team with Defund Hate did some messaging research and actually found that just mentioning the, like, mind-blowingly high levels of funding these agencies get every year, like, can persuade people that these agencies' budgets need to be cut. That on its own seems to be pretty persuasive to people. Um, But we also talk about... um, you know approaching things with a divest invest framework right um about the fact that not only should we not be in abusing and endangering the lives of immigrants through this funding but that we should also be investing in things that actually help immigrants and our and all everyone in our communities thrive um and you know i think the the government does a really good job of kind of closing us in on these like unnecessary, in these unnecessary boxes of, of you need to, of tit for tat thinking like, okay, you know, if we take X amount of funding away from detention, then like what happens to those folks and and what are we putting money towards to like ensure that they, you know, are meeting the requirements or complying with the system. And at the end of the day, for us, the only Real alternatives for, for our communities is, is liberation, right? Is freedom, is to ensure that, you know, people are able to navigate whatever proceedings that they're uh they're facing in their communities with their loved ones, um, and with the resources that they need to be able to see them through and and hopefully, you know, continue to stay with their loved ones um, and community. And I, I think that's that's something that um, we really value a lot. And I think that really resonates with folks is like we're, we're looking at things in a really holistic way um, and and thinking about how much power comes with government resources and how it could be actually used to help everyone in communities thrive.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talk about that all the time, um, you know, at the state level, at the city level, and obviously it needs to be happening at the federal level as well. Exactly. Um, You know, you've mentioned the defund hate campaign a couple of times. Can you go into a little bit more detail about what that is, what the demands are, and what people should be looking out for?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, It is a federal, a national campaign where, like I mentioned earlier, we focus specifically on cutting funding to ICE and CBP and, and try to take this divest invest approach and really like work with members of Congress every year um, because it's a really, you know, that's the the key part in this, right, is the fact that like federal funding has to pass every single year. Um, and so there's con- these constant opportunities for engagement with like a tactic that is truly an abolitionist tactic, right? We're working to break down these systems that are harmful and that have caused so much harm for so many years um, to hopefully, you know, build up our communities and invest in things that actually um, make us that, that like have help us live fuller, safer lives. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of the focus of what we do. We have a coalition of like over 60 organizations now um, working to, to, Do things both on the Hill, working closely with members of Congress, um, but also doing a lot of narrative changing work, right? I think part of a lot of the the struggles that we run into is that folks don't really understand, or, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering that politicians really partake in um, to make people feel like we need this kind of intensive mass surveillance and mass incarceration system to respond to migrants seeking a better life in the United States. And that's just not true. Um, So it's trying to break down those narratives that while also proactively breaking down the infrastructure that's been created from those narratives.
0: We call that our our both and approach. We have to work sort of simultaneously on what we can do right now and also start working to make sure that we're laying the groundwork for things that we want to do in the future. And that narrative changing is such a huge, huge part of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's some of the hardest work.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, I think like you said, like, you know, we're we're finding out the the things that are persuasive to people and messaging that really resonates with people as well. Um, but, you know, change takes time. Yeah for you know our listeners who i think um are going to be very interested in finding out how they can be part of this change can be part of supporting our work to influence what is happening at the federal level um in regards to immigration what what can they do to have their their voices heard and how can they find out more about defund hate and detention watch
1: yeah so you know the federal appropriations process is we often say purposely complicated, Um, you know, I did my best earlier to try to give a more simplified rundown. Um, But the defund hate campaign and the organizations that make up the coalition, we really try to find as many opportunities as possible to like break it down, to get into the nitty gritty and offer opportunities to plug in. So one of my suggestions for listeners would be you know, to work and organize alongside people in your community to identify local community needs and demand that your members of Congress organize their colleagues against ICBP funding uh, so that these needs can actually be met, whether it's through emails and calls, through meetings with their staff, um, or engaging with them on social media. Um, and I encourage y'all to use the, the hashtag defund hate if you're doing that. I think People really underestimate the power of just like getting social media attention. Members of Congress really pay attention to that kind of stuff. So encourage all to do that. Um, or if you're part of an organization or community group that's already working against immigration enforcement in other ways, um, to add a federal defund demand to your priorities. Um, and, you know, the Defund Hate Campaign is always open to providing any resources that would help you all do that. Um We also, as a coalition, regularly engage the public through consistent actions, uh, through supporting local efforts, and through like regular trainings and political education. Um, So I'd encourage listeners to check out our website, defundhatenow.org, and especially our Take Action page, uh, because we have some evergreen resources on there that people can use to take action whenever they want. But if you really want to stay up to speed on federal funding and campaign activities, uh, you can scroll all the way to the bottom on our site and you can sign up for our email list. Um, And then, of course, you can follow us on Instagram, the at defund hate campaign without the underscore. Um, And similarly for DWN, you know, go to our website, follow us on social media. um, And actually, from there, you can figure out how to plug into a local fight to end immigration detention near you if there is one.
0: I want to go back for a second and just talk about, you know, you mentioned that Biden just released a couple of weeks ago, you know, what he's looking for. Can you talk a little bit about what he's laid out in terms of immigration appropriations that he's looking for?
1: So the president's budget request, which was released on March 9th, um, did request some really critical funding shifts Um, notably the 26% reduction in detention levels, um, which was actually also included last year. Um, and that would essentially fund an average daily population of people in detention of 25,000 down from the 34,000 that is currently funded. And that has been funded since the last year of the Trump administration. Um, they requested this last year. It was a huge win that we claimed. And there were other, you know, notable cuts in different places, but these proposed cuts were really seriously undermined by the inclusion of a new request for a $4.7 billion, quote, contingency fund for DHS. We know how this is going to be used. This would effectively act as a slush fund for enforcement agencies to further militarize the border and expand mass enforcement with little accountability um, because it's not appropriated for specific pieces. They name, you know, certain things that could be used for, including things like detention beds that could build them back up to the, you know, average daily population of 34,000 that um, is already funded now. Um, And I think a lot of folks are really in fear that this kind of new fund will give DHS the ability to implement New punitive policies um, that we're seeing the administration talk about I don't know, I'm sure a lot of folks have seen over the last couple of months um, a lot of outcry about you know really restrictive asylum policies um, and as well as like administration announcing that it's considering bringing back the use of family detention after having only ended the practice like informally for, for a little over a year. Um, massive outcries from advocates, from from immigrant communities and from experts who, you know, know that this is not necessary um, and understand the implications and the harm that this is going to cause. And so a 4.7 billion dollar fund that they get to just decide whatever they want to do with it without accountability is Extremely concerning to us. That's a huge amount of money. I mean, like for yeah, like for reference, that's basically like ICE's total budget every year um, is about eight billion dollars. So that's like it, it's more than half the size of its regular budget. The CBP overall gets about uh, you know somewhere between fifteen to seventeen billion dollars, but the border patrol agency within it gets about $5 billion. So it's just like basically an entirely new account (laughs) that could be used for enforcement. We want to make it clear to the administration that they can't play both sides, right? They can't claim to support fair and humane immigration policies that uphold the rights of migrants while simultaneously pouring these billions of dollars into immigration enforcement agencies that are plagued by decades of abuse and, and death, which have been ongoing under President Biden's watch. And so, yeah, we are really moving towards, you know, what can we do to to tell Congress that the president began this process in a really irrespons- morally irresponsible way. And, you know, they need to act as a check and not just like write a blank check for ICE and CBP to continue the the constant cruelty and abuse of uh, and, and and again placing immigrant lives at risk um, and actually act out you know the values of freedom and dignity that they were elected to uphold
0: i think so important to actually have these numbers in mind and that it's billion with a b like these are exactly. massive massive amounts of money um, that are being marshaled to to do this. Um, so, you know, thank you for getting down into the details a little bit more on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to share that um, back at the beginning of March, March 1st was the 20-year anniversary of um, DHS. Um, the day that DHS and consequently ICE and CBP opened their doors 20 years ago in 2003 as a Res, direct result of attacks on nine eleven um and the defund hate campaign actually held a day of action where we were remembering and exposing all the the twenty years of harm that the agency has caused um and this you know that this approach that was kind of born out of that which was um to treat migrants as a security threat what you know what the impact of that has been on real people over the last 20 years. Um, And some research that one of our partners at the National Priorities Project did um, revealed that the federal government has funneled $442 billion into ICE and CBP over the last 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So first of all, naming how young these agencies are. And second of all, the like insane amount of money that we've just poured into this really misdirected tactic um, to, to try to deter people from migrating to the United States, which, you know, one, has never worked, and two, is a cruelly inhumane way to respond to migration.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, we just keep doubling down on things that we know don't work Often simply because we've just been doing them for so long, and the idea of coming up with something new feels prohibitive. Um, so I think you know, pointing out that these are new agencies, twenty years is you know is a long time, but it's also a drop in the bucket in terms of um, you know many aspects of our of our government. You know, it's it's not too late to do something different to stop doing what we know isn't working. And which is fundamentally harmful. Um, so, you know, thank you for, for pointing that out and for giving us a little bit of, of history in that as well. Is there, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that people know about? Is there sort of one thing that you wish everybody knew about either this process or about, you know, the importance of ending immigration detention?
1: I feel like you you asked a little bit earlier about what to look out for specifically in this process, but I wanted to flag some of the some uh, to get at the narrative work, flag some of the 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 harmful narratives that we're seeing out there. Which you know, I think we're really specifically concerned about this false binary that the administration is perpetuating, um, and we're really seeing members of Congress buy into, uh, which is. One where we either allow people to enter the U.S. and up enforcement in response, or we violate their human right to migrate and legal right to seek asylum to begin with. And like I I kind of alluded to earlier, right now, access to asylum has been horrendously stripped down thanks to policies like Title 42, um, which is a racist border expulsion program that used the COVID-19 pandemic as a false basis for immediate removal, uh, despite countless medical experts sounding the alarm that this wasn't necessary and that it did more harm than good. But on May 11th, the federal government is planning to end the public health emergency order, which means that Title 42 will also end, which is absolutely necessary. But it means that we really need to look out for how the government plans to respond uh, by looking at what they decide to fund. Um, And like I got into a little bit, the president's budget requests already gave us a little bit of a sneak peek at what they might be already considering and already thinking. Um, But we hope that Congress ignores these reckless requests um, and instead focus on slashing funding for things like immigration, detention, uh, for ISIS, so-called alternatives to detention um, that really just relies on surveillance and other restrictions on liberty and for border patrol agents, for invasive technologies, for barriers at our borders, without pivoting towards these kinds of anti-asylum policies. And so we just have to stay vigilant, especially in a divided Congress, that they one, don't try to sneak additional enforcement funding in in unexpected ways, uh, and two, that members of Congress don't trade off our priorities for political expediency, um, which we've seen over the last couple of years.
0: And this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for peeling back the layers of this process and demystifying how it works and, and really making sure to, to ground us, um, You know, as I said before, in the fact that this, this isn't just about money. This is about people. This is about human dignity. This is about human rights. Um, and, and that's at the, the very core of, of everything that I know that we're working on together and the future that we're looking to build together. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciated this conversation and really hope that folks are interested and, and and you know try to take action with us because it's a really crucial time, especially as we, you know, head into the next presidential campaign election year. It's it's gonna we're gonna see a lot of really, you know, dangerous stories play out and we need to make sure that we're all there to to counter them and to remind the entire public of the beauty of immigrant communities and what we could really be achieving um, with our federal funding, as well as just by organizing together and being there for each other.
0: Thanks again for joining us. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund an organization that works to transform the immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical needs of individuals impacted by these systems daily. To learn more about our work and donate, visit us at envisionfreedom.org. That's envisionfreedom.org. Dismantling Injustice was created by Sali Israel. Our executive producer is Abigail Wolf. This podcast is produced and engineered by Yasi Solutions and hosted by Carl Hammett Lipscomb. That's me. Special thanks to the team at Envision Freedom for being amazing. Until we're all free, peace out.